worst start to this this part, this second part. We've already of this got episode. out the pre-episode. We sillies. got out all of the, <laughs> the the first episode sillies. That being said, hello everyone, welcome back to the second part of our uh, season four halftime mid-season Q and A discussion question. All those words. Extravaganza. Extravaganza. There we go. Um, Welcome back. Uh, We covered a lot of topics in part one, and we were going to keep the story stuff mostly to that, but we had so much discussion. We had so many things to say that it's it's rolling over into this uh, episode. And so now we're going to start off talking about everyone's favorite NPC, Craig, because... Uh, Mills was teasing stuff about him, and we just, we love him so much, and uh, we want to talk about him some more, but before we start talking, uh, I do want to remind you, we have uh, an announcement, an important announcement at the end of this episode, so I urge everyone to listen all the way through so we can get some information to y'all. So, without further ado, Craig, 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 Mills, tell me about Craig. Yeah, I'd love to tell you about Craig. I've been talking about Craig all day. So, <laughs> I've been dying to um, talk to you about Craig. <laughs> sorry, I just, I almost went into the Pepe Sylvia monologue. <laughs> Every day, Craig's mail is getting sent back to me, Craig. Craig, I have in the mail. This whole box is full of Craig. Sorry. Um, okay, so here's the deal about Craig. I gotta, like, adjust my seating so I can be Yeah, that's gotta be, encouraged. like, a TV show title. Here's the deal with Craig. Here's the deal about Craig. Um, everybody loves Craig. Everybody, everybody loves hates Craig. Craig. <laughs> Craig in the middle. Um, okay. Two and a half Craigs. <laughs> so, <laughs> Craig, 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 Craig. And his name's not even Craig. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about this just a second ago. I, I was totally like, like, I, like, part of me feels like I am like responsible for Craig in a way I never wanted because I gave this dude his name that he uses now. Just yeah. and come okay. and. Uh, an offhanded comment about this evil crown that I stole from the lich that was probably harmless <laughs> turned into his whole story arc. I'm yeah. like, this is probably so, harmless. <laughs> here's, here's, uh, let's pan back and look at this from a top down view. Um, and like earlier in the first part, we I answered a question about how like is this where. You know, I expected you guys to be and have you guys been, like, doing the story. So, when I DM, I have bits and this... Okay, when I DM, I have pieces of information and lore and things that are happening in the world that the players are interacting with. How the players find and mesh with this information is constantly in flux. Which means, like, did I plan Craig specifically, like, this person who they rescued to be this other thing? As soon as they rescued him, yeah. Um, There were several... uh, Craig fulfills a narrative function that was, in essence, assigned to this character. There were points when we were playing where, like... Like, Rob, you specifically were like, I can't, in- I, like, and a character to character, I can't engage with someone who's constantly stonewalling and that sort of thing. And I was like, good point. I will, you know, we'll, we will get to that point. I will make sure you're not just constantly, like, being shit-talked by a 13-year... He's not 13. But, um... <laughs> That's how it feels like sometimes from Lash. I can't yeah. hit you because it's abuse, but it's bullying me and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is to say that um, if... 
you guys had um, like taken Craig with you and refused to let him join you on your exploits, like the character of Craig would have had that same significance and that same build. And a lot of this stuff would just be happening elsewhere and revisiting. And, um, and then there would have been something else for your stories for you to engage with. So it's not that like, it's not that Craig only exists around you, but, uh, bringing Craig with you allows you to get insights into things you might otherwise not have. And if you didn't have Craig and maybe you had someone else that would have given it a different tone and tinge too, um, because Craig has a very specific role in this narrative as I think your characters are starting to find out part of the reason why did he even want to stay with you guys in the first place? Very clearly doesn't like you. There's a lot of different things um, at play there, but yeah, uh, Craig was always going to be an important NPC, but Craig was not necessarily guaranteed to be a part of the party, if that makes sense. How wild would it be to find out, like, the last episode of the season, Craig's, like, it's, like, the big reveal, and it's like, oh, yeah, my name's not Craig. My name is Daniel, and it's, like, totally <laughs> flat. Yeah. I said Craig's name once, and I don't know if, I think Han was the only one who was paying attention because I asked you to cut it out. Oh, like early oh. on. Oh, yeah. You said his real name. Yeah. 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 I got you. It is It is not Daniel. <laughs> I was just, uh, I just followed your instructions and edited that memory out of my brain. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't remember what it was. I don't remember it. Craig's name is cool as shit. I think. I, like, <laughs> I like think you're going to hear it. Yeah. Craig, that's the thing though, is Craig is like, Craig is a great name. It's a cool, a strong name, but especially with a K. Uh, it was much with a K. I just think that when you hear Craig's actual name, you're going to be like, ah, shit, that is also cool. Like, that is also a good name. If it is cool, I can guarantee Magnus's reaction is going to be like, well, that's way better than Craig. Why have you been letting us do this this whole time? But I'm sure there's a reason. I bet he's like a secret. He's like a secret, uh, you know, tiefling prince promised to bring balance to the force and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Um, specifically you mentioning the crown because <laughs> you're ever like as a DM, you're like, okay, here's an NPC, here's their whole deal, and then like this is what they're about. And then a player does something and you're like, <laughs> you know, it'd be funny. <laughs> 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 like it just it just expedited some stuff in a very particular way that I was like, you know what, I wasn't planning on this, but yeah, that's how this is happening now. <laughs> It's, it's so th this is uh, we can move off of Craig in a second. It's also funny to me in retrospect, you know, like have you having confirmed that Craig is like the main character and the way I sort of interpret that is like, you know, we mentioned at the end of the last episode, that means that we're almost guaranteed to die because we are the mentor figures like we are like the Gandalfs like, you know, the, the yeah. Boromirs like the people that are, are passing the torch to Craig and Julian and whoever else is in our life that we're, you know, like connected too but it's very funny in retrospect some of the interactions where we have where it's like like clearly it was important for us to be at the house of a nemeros and craig had a whole other important side quest that was just his and magnus is sort of like was it cool to be here like you're obviously important i have no idea what you're going through but it's sort of just <laughs> like the dissonance of like 
we are on like our main quest and craig is also experiencing some wild shit i'm sure and like it just sort of doesn't connect yet like how they're like what he's doing and so it's it's funny to think about the wild shit he must be getting up to yeah it is it gets fun for me because i do think about it and i think and like it it puts me in an interesting perspective and i think it's an interesting um vehicle for storytelling because like i said it's like main character shit going on there and it does in a in a way it does impact your story it matters but also it's not really relevant to the story we're telling here because the story we're telling here is about your characters and your emotions and your relationships and whatever is going on with Craig is as relevant as any other lore dump or geopolitical thing happening. It's just happening a hundred yards to the left on someone else's little vision journey rather than on the other side of the planet. But I I, I like drawing attention to that. There's other shit going on and other people are, you know, having their big adventures at varying scales, even if they're not on your scale, on other continents, on other planes, there's always stuff happening. And I feel like Craig is just like a reminder that you can be the main characters without being the main characters. But yeah, it's fun. Now, our, que- our quest is just the recruitment <coughs> quest that Craig has to participate in to recruit uh, <laughs> Julie into his main campaign. Believe it or not, yeah. you guys are Craig's NPC escort. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, so I do want to answer this question that is a little bit of a jab at Brennan, but it's all in good fun and love here. Is Craig just better Giuseppo? (laughs) Also, the the rest of this says, also, did you have the idea for him to be important, uh, to the plot from the start or did you, did, have you just been making it up as you go? This season feels like one giant interconnected mystery and I could not imagine trying to have such an important NPC and just hoping it works out, which you answered a little bit already. Craig yeah. was always going to be that, here. Craig was always going to be here, whether or not you guys were going to know anything about Craig or interact with Craig. Other, like, if, I mean, if you guys didn't keep him with you, and obviously as a DM, I was like, you know, this yeah. bitch who hates you is wanting to also go with you for some reason. At mm. first, you kind of didn't give him a choice, but, but then blah, 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 blah. But like, uh, yeah, otherwise it would have been like, remember that kid you let go? Here's him now. What? Um, and I feel like yeah. a big difference with Giuseppo, like it in big contrast to everything you just said, Giuseppo was the main character, but also that was the main point of the story. He was like the the thing that we needed to like figure out for Craig. Um, he, he is still the main character, but as you said, he's doing his own thing. And also, we did not, we were not forced to take him with us like we were with Giuseppo. We're like, God damn, we have to take this fucking guy with us. <laughs> Shit. And honestly, it brings a whole different dynamic in. The, the fun thing about playing, I think the fun thing about playing Giuseppo, for at least for me, was the fact that he was always kind of in the way, but you still needed him, you know? And because he, he was the key to something. And it's fun, the difference when Craig is. You know, I feel like Craig is more powerful and more important in his own right. Not because of who necessarily who, because the thing about Giuseppe is a little sufferable. His dad's the like the rich guy and he's important because he's important and you have to deal with him. And it, it had a lot of party dynamics where sometimes the, the biggest menace isn't the sea creature that's eating your ship. It's the fucking 19-year-old who's you want to cast overboard. 
In retrospect, one thing I love about Giuseppo is that that campaign was so anti-royalist that even (laughs) when we had our own, like, devil that you know, prince of the, you know, Vodachin Empire, we're still like, fuck this guy and his rich dad. Like, (laughs) Yeah. And uh, another, another, I think, distinction between, like, Craig and Giuseppo is... Like, Giuseppe was a fully grown man. Like, Giuseppe was, like, kind of an idiot, but, like, was an adult, that sort of thing. Um, and, like, Sinead was, like, a child, and we were all, like, the party was pretty, like, young and things. Uh, but in this dynamic, it's, like, very clear that you all are adults, and Craig is notably younger. And, like, Craig's friendship with Julian, really, even though Craig can be this, like, very important figure who is clearly has some kind of power or ability and is relevant in some particular way. Craig is also like still a kid, you know? Um, and so like that dynamic, I think if we were looking at this from another perspective, Craig could do these things without you in the same way you could do what you're doing without Craig. Um, but I don't know if either of you would really be better off for it. It's sort of better for everyone that Greg is at least vaguely supervised by us, or at least has friends that aren't actively evil. Yeah. It's kind of... Have we... Also a matter of perspective, because we're kind of the baddies, but, you know. Have we said how old Greg is? Have we? I don't know. I'm asking you. I don't know. I I don't think I have now. I have no idea how old Craig is. He's secretly, like, thousands of years old, probably. (laughs) Yeah, classic. Um, Uh. (laughs) Cool. Um, I think Craig's probably a a year or two younger than Julian. How old's Julian? (laughs) I don't remember specifically off it. 19? 19 or 20-ish, yeah. Okay, I thought 19 or 20-ish, yeah. All right, so I have a question for you, Mills. Um, Yeah. With how much agency you've given to us to design the world somewhat around our characters like where our hometowns are what they're like the circumstances in which we left things like you know which god they worship in the region like you've left a lot of this to our discretion my question for you is have you sort of been using this campaign as a way for us to organically build out the world for future campaigns or what is your relationship with lore building in that sense when you give us this much to work with yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think one central part to how I play TTRPGs and like TTRPG, uh, what's the word? Conceptual, like conceptualizing is the like collaborative storytelling aspect. Um, so like, I didn't explicitly say like, here are the parts of the world that you get to write about. Um, but each of you sort of had a different kind of element that you were focused on and focus in your character's backstory. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, where a character come from, comes from and the environment that they live in is just as important as anything you write down on a page about who that character is, is like the environment that produces them um, and what they interact with and how they, how they view the world. And what is that, what if that is viewed in reality? What if that is viewed in their perspective and trying to like find those middle grounds so, like, the short answer is that the lore that people have built, like, Han has done a lot of shaping out Ulfair. Uh, Brennan has a lot of lore uh, 
structuring around like the church of furia that's really uh impacted how that works and that and and, you know that has a lot of uh butterfly effects and uh, magnus has had a big hand in like how magic works like what what is power scaling when you when you have a character who wants to create a central or uh, a system of like wizarding and magical education again there's like a lot of butterfly effects within it because then what that asks is why isn't there this and why is uh something that magnus experienced in his hometown is that something that is the same or different from other areas and why and um also magnus has a very big hand in uh jorgund and like how he's experienced how he moves with the world and so there are i give like a few sentences or like a paragraph about this god and then it's like okay well here's all of the ways that i interact with a god and then for me it's trying to figure out okay is that the rule or the exception for how gods work, for how gods, this god interacts with their followers, for how these gods interact with their players. Um, Is the city that Magnus grew up in the rule or the exception? And in some cases, you guys brought up lore that was like different than what I had imagined. And I was just like, ah, I just kind of threw away what I wanted. And then other times you came up with lore that was different than what I imagined. I was like, this is great. Actually, I'm stealing that. Um... And it's not stealing because I asked you for it and you gave it to me. <laughs> uh, but I think, and and also like this world is set up in specific epochs and there's that sort of cyclical thing. Like I want to keep building and uh, arranging content that can exist in stories within this framework. So it's like, you know, if I need to, a Jorgen from a previous epoch might have interfaced differently than this Jorgen. But I also want to like respect that lore you know it'd really suck if magnus had this backstory that was like i'm living in a city that's being held by this oppressive like theocracy that's fascist and awful and it was just that and every nowhere else in the world lined up or meshed with that at all and so it's like trying to create well i don't want everywhere in the world to be like this but i need that place to make sense and i need that to relate to the story and i need it to feel natural and real so magnus as a character has a real and valid connection to all of the other things happening in the world um and uh and like other things with like the church of furia kind of being this very rigid hierarchical structure that's like similar to catholicism but different and then being like how do but like how do those things develop how does a society create that and what does that say about the society what does that say about the people what does that say about the gods too that you have these beings of immense power who relate in these functions and so i i think every time a player writes a line of their backstory or writes a line of lore for the world um it really just adds several more questions that allows me as a GM to flesh out other things. And like, how do you make these things work? Because nothing is ever a clear one-to-one ratio. And then I also mentioned to Rob earlier, like I don't really, the I only plan on changing lore in between things in the same way that I change lore for myself, which is when I realize I've contradicted myself somewhere and you got to like make it make sense. Um, but yeah, I consider the things that happen in this art to be as canon as is relevant to a story. And then there's a whole conversation about what does it mean for things to be canon and breaking canon and like fan content and like personal stories and all that and the hierarchy and sharing in a blah, 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 blah. But yeah. So that's, that was that answer. Yeah. Um, 
it's it's interesting to have a green light like that as a player sometimes to be able to collaborate in such a free way because I feel like a lot of stories that get told, especially well, obviously in like module content, it's like you get zero freedom to do that basically. Um, but even in just like standard D and D settings, it can it can be tough where it's like, you know, do I have to be a life cleric if I worship a certain god, or is this like not the right vibe that I have here with like the pre-written lore? And so having the ability to personalize it is pretty cool. Yeah, I think the that's one of the most effective ways of storytelling because. You know, one person can only know what they know. So whenever you get different perspectives on how something might work or how something could work within a story, that's that's how you make it believable and uh, make it have depth in three dimensions. Um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, if I can add another thing. I know I've been just talking so much this whole time. Go for it. Everyone loves I to think- hear you talk. It's good. <laughs> I think another thing, uh, especially in a homebrew world, from a perspective of player buy-in, um, Unlike, you know, Star Wars, where all of us have varying familiarities with the lore or like D&D, where we've played or we've seen things that have familiarity, like the lore here is you can enjoy reading it, but it is just homework. Like it is entirely new. It's just stuff that came up in my mind. So I think it's nice to also have like give you guys the ability to be an expert in something and know that and own that knowledge. So you have like so you get to you feel ownership in that part of the story rather than just being given a bunch of stuff that I thought was cool and then being like, okay, I'll fit somewhere in here. Like, I think anytime, even if you're running a module and like changing parts of it or like anytime GMs, you have the opportunity to give players things. Um, Everyone likes writing lore. Everyone likes learning about lore. And I think it's a cool back and forth when the player, when you guys give me something and I'm like, okay, you know what this is. But you don't know how this relates to everything else. Let me share it with you. Yeah, also the, the thought, especially if you continue to use this world in other campaigns without us, which is a sad thought, but also we live in it. Blasphemous, actually. <laughs> you may we, only play D&D with us. <laughs> but, forever and always. But uh, we still live, since we helped create that world, we live in it eternally. Because like, as Mills said you know, I helped, uh, I wrote a lot of the names of the Ulfair families, at least in the autumnal court. So if like, if you were to ever do this on a future podcast and I hear you talk about the, the V family or the Shaw family or anything like that, I'd be like, Hey, I wrote that. That's cool. That's me. I'm <laughs> yeah. there. Um, and I, I don't know. It just living eternally in that story is, is very cool in that way, especially with our characters being folk heroes. I feel like we, we deserve at least a cameo in any yeah. future campaign. <laughs> well, we do. And I'm also thinking, like, and I don't know if any of our listeners, I know you are, Han, uh, but are, like, familiar with Starlight Tales, which is uh, a channel that I appear on occasionally and a lot of my friends are in. But, like, they essentially wrote uh, pages and pages, like, of lore, of planets, of gods, of an entire galaxy system. And, all of, like, it's, it's ridiculously in-depth. And all of their campaigns are situated in there with one time or another. And um, I really like that idea and I like that concept and I like the idea of just having this world that is less centralized and it's just something I can sort of carry around and tweak and get input from other people. And like you said, it it carries uh, the marks of all the people who have played in it in one way or another. Yeah, that's very cool. I love also how we've been able to create settings. I mean, Marcos's monastery and uh, the lizard tower, it's all 
it, they're places that feel very lived in and because they're designed by the most important character associated with them, which is ourselves. And, you know, if the idea that you're going to like, oh, we for some reason have to go to uh, the monastery just outside of Forlorn in a future campaign. It's like, oh, I built that, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, kind of speaking of building there, uh, I think we wanted to touch a little bit more on character building. Um, so as we've been talking about previously, um, this campaign is different in that we are not creating we are not starting off with level one or level three players uh we are starting off with uh play i shouldn't i shouldn't say levels because that's not what the system is but um i think they're ranks in in this game so rank like legendary heroes yeah so like they're literally called like you know novice uh you know veteran seasoned whatever um instead of starting at the bottom we're starting at the top so um this question specifically says What's it like playing a character at the beginning at the beginning of the end of their story slash the world? How differently did you have to approach the character creation and approach player character relationships with adventurers who have known each other for so long prior to playing? We also have specific anecdote and anecdote for that. Um, but I'll speak with, I'll speak a little bit on character building. You definitely um, with this sort of thing, um, you kind of have to think about especially like in this TTRPG setting, you have to think about the character arc that happened before this story. So like usually with beginner characters, you just, you just have a little bit of their backstory. Oh, they're from this village and they liked swinging a sword around once and they, uh, you know, defeated a, a little robber in their local tavern. So now they really liked it. And now they're going to be an adventurer. But with this, you know, scope of story, you have to think about, Everything that le- that started there that led to how they became this crazy, um, you know, mythical folklore hero and what their goals were, what they- if they accomplished those goals, if they have more goals after that, um, like motivations and what keeps them going and what they're kind of doing all of this for and if they were able to accomplish that before or if they're still... Uh, aiming to accomplish that. Um, so it's just, it's a lot more focused on the backstory, I guess. Um, but then at the same time, you also have to find the arc after the arc. You have to, um, I remember I, I talked about this with Rob a little bit. We were talking, we were concerned about, oh, well, if this is the end of their story, how are they going to grow as characters? But, you know, your life never stops, even after you do something monumental, like, even in a decline, there is still an arc there. You just have to find it. You just have to make sure that your character is dimensional enough in order to accomplish that sort of arc and to make the story interesting because characters are what move a story. Character arcs are what make a story interesting because we relate to them. Um, but yeah, that's my take on it. I just kind of rambled for a second, but... Oh, that was great. <laughs> Thank you. Brandon, what were your thoughts when designing Arcos to the to the vein of this question? <laughs> I was I was sitting there still. You caught me right before I got right right before I know how to phrase this. Um, I was really I was really trying to figure out the best way. So, um, oh God, it's 
I don't want to answer. Part of the answer is in the, the future question about my zero, my negative four int characters. So oh, I'll, I'll yeah. leave that part of it. I'll leave that part of it out. Um, but so I work uh, with a lot of. Uh, I work at a religious institution, um, and I really love. I, I think there's a lot of interesting facets to it. Part of it is you get to see a lot of the flaws, and I think um, in a very narrow way of looking at things, and it's. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of tension I think between me and some of my coworkers in the way that we look at the world and um, how how we relate to it. Um, but there's a lot of sometimes there's some redeeming qualities, sometimes there's some beauty there. And Arcos as a character is my way to mentally play out the the conflict of <laughs> the conflict of I think um, a lot of really traditional views on, on religion and my own way of making my way through it. So it's kind of a lens that, that I deal with, you know, my personal life in the, the constant theology that I'm around with, with my institution. Um, of course, I, I love the work that I do, um, but just part of, just part of dealing with that. At the same time, I was reading a, a book that some of my friends read in college that was about some, uh, <laughs> Uh, it was for the honors program at TU about some monks, some like Catholic monks that survived the apocalypse. It's called the Canticle for Leibowitz. And uh, I was just really inspired by like, oh, that's really interesting because we have a really apocalyptic world ending theme for this whole thing. We're literally starting this whole thing off at the end of the world. And so I'm like, okay, well, the, the two ideas just kind of merged. So um, both Arcos's first and last name is taken from characters of that book. <laughs> That's where it came out. It just kind of made sense. Um, and just exploring, I guess, the the right way, I think, that you can be morally upstanding and also have the continue on with the tradition of what his belief system is. I don't know if it's going to come to a good answer or not. But that's where that's where the questions started coming about. It's how can I play a character who embodies these questions I'm I'm having? Yeah, it's not lost on me that uh, you play this like monumentally important religious figure who is like very powerful and like smites the foes of your institution, but at the same time is in a lot of ways very ignorant to like the true theology behind what you're fighting for. <laughs> um, which I think is a very, uh, it was very subtly done throughout the course of the, the season thus far, but um, I think is is very interesting. Thank you. Um, my relationship to creating a level 20 character was to get fucking goofy with it. Um, <laughs> I wanted to be able to just like have fun. And when I heard I could be a level 20 character, I was like, well, wizard instantly is like the best bang for your buck in terms of what you could do and God, like, like power <laughs> yeah i was like i might as well just like get as close as i can to being truly like busted but the way that that see you know power corrupts y'all and uh the thing is like when you start there with the premise for your character but you still want to be like not evil you have to really play the line between like you know, Amelia mentioned earlier, it's like when you say one thing is true in the lore, then you have a lot of questions of like, what else must be true if that one thing is true? And it's like, if Magnus is this sort of morally gray, trickster, God-inspired, 
powerful wizard like what is this person's life like and the answer we sort of arrived to was like not all that heroic like he does very important things that like tend to have good consequences like from a big picture perspective like it is good that magnus occasionally stirs shit up and it's good that he takes powerful foes off the board i am not really that convinced in myself that like magnus at this level of power is was really a good person and that's sort of become his whole uh character flaw arc and like why um the deal he made to like basically not die a mortal death and be like immortalized as like a story is like such a problem for him because he's now realizing as an adult like oh i led a really shit ass life and most people that know me don't like me and don't like know that i'm famous and actively do not want to see me in their town lest i burn it down which is a not good way to be immortalized as a, a story and a vibe and so like starting at the place of really powerful wizard and then like what would this guy's life have been like to get to that point it's like oh there's some uncomfortable conclusions about <laughs> how magnus operated um so yeah it's interesting i sort of made myself a not hero by by giving by being given that opportunity to start a character at that high of a level yeah. um i i love hearing you guys talk about your characters <laughs> you seem to give a thought <laughs> No, I I do. I just I was also thinking on um well I didn't like want to interrupt, but I was also thinking what Brennan mentioned about like church and religion and how a lot of like building this world for me has also been trying to think about like my relationship to religion and what functions religion serve as a concept. Um, both for you know, what people lean on personally, tools of political power. And then also, but the gods are real. Like, they are very real and, like, present. And they're smiting shit and giving people magic. Like, and, like, how that changes the, the things. But, um, yeah, I just, and I, I don't know. I think hearing you guys talk about the characters and how, like, and what I wanted, I guess, for you guys to, like, as I, I really like thought experiments and things like that is how doing something at the end really does change how you approach character creation and all of that. And I think it was a fun thing for me as a DM to try and create, figure out the story that happens after a story. Um, and I'm glad you guys enjoyed that too. See the, um, the whole concept of you talking about like things in relationship to each other and like, you know, fantasy cons or I guess fictional concepts, um, <clears throat> as opposed to how they exist in the real world, that, that very much is like, such a good indicator of like th thought being put into a story because I often like, I often get so frustrated with um, fiction, like either TV shows or books or whatever. And the, the best way I can illustrate this is through the movie elemental. And I think this scene that I'm about to talk about happens in one of the trailers. So uh, you've probably seen it, even if you haven't seen the movie, but there's a point where they're like, I think there's a, like a chain link fence and they walk straight through it. And they're like, what do we even have these for? And I'm like, that's such a great point. You wouldn't have those because they don't work. <laughs> like, you're just trying to yeah. copy the ex like the existing world, even though it really doesn't make sense in the context of what you're like, what the, this this world that you've created. So I think that's such a great way to approach storytelling. Um, thinking about things in a relationship to each other and taking into account that like, 
our reality, if, if you're trying to set up a fictional magical concept, you have to accept that the way that the world has evolved would be just fundamentally different than the world that we live in today. Like if magic was real. It's like the champagne problem. The champagne problem? I, I think yeah, Taylor Swift, like, whenever you say that. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, I didn't even put that together. No, like the thing in fantasy worlds where it's like, you know, in a fantasy world, they're like drinking champagne. It's like, it's called champagne because yeah, it's from right. the champagne, champagne. area of France. And yeah. it's like, but like, I always love hearing people come up with their dumb reasons. It's like named after like William P. Champagne, <laughs> yeah. like bubbly juice and things like that. Like, and it's not like a problem problem in that specific right. sense, but that's like a very simplified version of. It's like how you can't think of, like, most uh, expletives are just some, are based in religion. Like, God damn it. Right, Or, yeah. like, ega- like every <clears throat> single thing is a minced, uh, what is it, a minced curse. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that was just a thought I had. Um, um, go ahead. And the other part of that question that I wanted to get into from right. a GM perspective of, like creating lore and character creations, there's this thing called reunion. And whenever this drops, if someone in the Discord tags me, I'll drop a link to it. That I found um, when I was playing in a die RPG session, and I really want to run something in die RPG. Um, it's an isekai RPG. So the idea, like, so just to give you a little background on die, which is how you get here, is die RPG, you are a group of people who have come together to play a TTRPG and then your characters, I think they, I played it in beta. I think they called players and paragons or something like your persona and your paragon. Your persona is a regular person in the real world. Their TTRPG characters, their paragon, and they get sucked in and there's all these different character classes and it's great and it's really cool. Um, But the, the way the story tees up is you're a group of people who've already been playing your personas have already been playing together you're coming back for like one last game that kind of thing we're starting after a long time um so it's a series of questions that uh everyone goes around the table and kind of asks of them like one question will ask a player something and then it will or one card will ask a player a question and then it will prompt that player to ask another player about their own character so it allows you to give you, it allows you to talk about your lore, but also to see how your characters are seen through and are interacted with through the characters of others. And through that, we got some pieces of lore that have stuck through to the campaign. Um, <laughs> well, and it's set for like modern day things, but it also just kind of allows you to get in that mindset of like building lore and stories of like what happened at the old, I don't know, the old flour mill. Which is like kind of a broad question, but then you can figure out what it is. And then you already have a backstory and a reference to go off of. Yeah, it's a, it's a, like a very like useful modification of a lot of similar like um, improv acting games exercises yeah. of just like vague hook and then like improvise the history and the story of this. Yeah, it's, it's um, super helpful for having characters who have known each other for as long as ours have because then you fill that like you have your own singular backstories but then you have the you know uh the meshed backstory of like the the history of all all three of us in in our case together um and it makes it feel fleshed out because we have those stories that we took from the game we played that none of you heard so it's it's new surprises for the listener or you know just fun reference if you're just playing a home game but it just makes it feel more real yeah 
And I think even then, even though it wasn't in character, like there were points when you guys would start riffing in character. Yeah. That like creating those shared pieces of lore, you really figured out what the dynamic was before we even hit record or even had right. like interactions, mm. which I think was really good. Yeah. Um, okay, so the last kind of big discussion question that I think we're going to do for this QA. Um, do you have something that you've taken slash something you learned or an idea you had from a previous game that you were trying to apply this season? Um, and I can kind of answer if everyone else needs to think about this. Um, I'm thinking. Yeah, I'd love time. time to think. Okay, cool. So my past two... Um, so this podcast has really been my only experience with like long campaigns. I was in another podcast called SCP Play, but it was kind of cut off short. Um, that being my only other long campaign experience. So really the only characters I have to, really the only experience I have to draw from are those, uh, campaigns. And I, um, my characters have really kind of gone all over the place, especially jumping from Sinead to Akala. Um, so, uh, with Sinead, I was, I tried to be very improvisational tried to be very unplanned and spontaneous because that's who she was. She was a 15-year-old who um, had was a pirate and didn't follow any rules. Um, and I didn't set up a whole lot of backstory beats for her to kind of f- follow up on during the campaign. But Akala was like the complete opposite of that. Her story was so like simultaneously planned and unplanned and predictable and unpredictable that I was like, by the end of the campaign, I was wound up so tight that I wanted to make sure that every like little story beat went right. So with Winnie, I've very much like, as I've said previously, I think I said in the first episode of this, um, I'm very much a planner. (laughs) I like, I did improv and stuff when I was younger, but like as I've grown up and as I've gotten like a nine to five job, I've very much had to organize my life. I like to have, I like to have information on things before I act on them. Um, so I've been really trying with Winnie. I did set up those same dramatic, uh, beats that I kind of did with Akala, but at the same time, I've been trying to let myself not get wound up so tight with making sure that everything goes the way I want it to. Um, and I think, I think I've been achieving that so far. I think she's been a pretty good mix of, um, haha, mix from season three, haha, um, <laughs> uh, a pretty good mix of, uh, both Sinead and Akala, where she's, like, not as wound tight as Akala, but she's also not quite as spontaneous and rule-free as, as Sinead. So, I guess just trying to capture, trying to, trying to better myself as a TTRPG player and an improv, uh, player, I guess, um, that has been kind of my goal and also just kind of playing a wide scope of, of characters um, for this has been kind of a goal. Um, I think I answered the question. Does anyone else have anything to say? I don't know how to close my thoughts a lot of times. So someone else go. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think the way that I would answer this question is that I feel like between the last time I played an actual D&D character as a player, which was like three years ago at the beginning of, or like when did season two end? Two years ago? Um, 2019, 2020, 2019. Let me look. So like, like three years ago, basically was the last time I like played in a campaign before the start of this campaign with Arthur. 
And even then, Arthur was like my second D and D character or TTRPG character. Twenty twenty one. Ever and then, twenty twenty one. Yeah. So two years. Um, and I've since now like played and like a few one shots and just more succinct campaigns where I've had to like design characters, just like more quickly or just like more casually, like not for a performance based podcast. And just getting more experience playing D and D, I sort of found a comfort zone of like where I like to be when I'm improving a character. Um, and so, like my insight, um, and this doesn't really surprise me in retrospect. Just like having done, like just dabbled in a lot of like different artistic art forms, is that when you start doing something, you really want to like do it big. As I guess is my experience, like you really want to like really shoot for the moon. And D and D is not an exception. And I think a lot of people feel that when they design characters, the first like three or four times are like, my character is going to have this crazy backstory and like you know have all these dark dramatic things happening and like it can feel very cluttered and like not well thought out and so um over time what i realized is like the best way to sort of do it in my you know uh opinion is to like really theme out your characters which i started doing for uh the star wars season season three where like i had to start thinking of characters like much more utilitarian like what is the purpose of this character like why is it in the story and then as a pc it's like you can sort of think about like what is my character's theme what like narrative trope do they fit into um and tropes are also really useful is another thing that i have learned is that as much as you want to like avoid trope characters like the tropes exist for a reason and as a starting place are often very good um even when you like switch them up but um yeah, just like having consistent themes and character ideas and not trying to do too much and then like letting the character grow organically. I try to do a lot with Magnus. Um, so yeah. Something that I've, I've taken from previous campaigns, a lot of previous campaigns that I'm trying to get away from is looking at my character as a piece of the party and to play more of a support role. Um, partially because class-wise, I'm a healer. Um, if we were playing D&D 5e, I'd be a cleric. And um, just in general, like, Rama was very much a, a rogue, not by class, but, you know, played by his own rules kind of guy, borderline obstructive in the first ten episodes. Certainly not <laughs> an asset, except when guns were blazing. But when guns were blazing, that DPS was fucking incredible. <laughs> But still, when guns were not a-blazing and there was no DPS to be had, uh, Ramos, it's like, ugh. Um, you know, with Gi- Giuseppe as a character, that was part of the story, right? Was um, I think the way that Q put it really well in the story with Giuseppe was what happens when the pawn gets to the other side of board becomes the most powerful piece in the game, you know, the queen. And that was kind of the idea of it, was you had to get this dead weight to become something useful, something of an asset. Um, and then, you know, Donald was not always a, a team player either. So I'm like, you know, you can make, so trying to make a character who isn't like the main character that the whole thing's centered around, who could be, but in this particular instance is meant to heal the wounds of those around him and to learn from others and to mend his own flaws as uh, more of a, a character who's supposed to be an asset to the team. So that's what I, I've been trying to work on a little bit this season. And um, one of his, like, Arcos' strengths is you know, connections, right? Like, 
our ghost brought Askarath in, into the story. And if that's all he does, that's still a hell of an asset. <laughs> or heal, healing the hangovers whenever we get drunk. I mean, being able to... That is be, your most valuable skill. <laughs> being able to be a contributing factor to the health and well-being of those around them. Even if you really want to bonk them over the head sometimes. And that's what I've been trying to focus on. Uh, Mills, do you have anything to contribute? Um, I think... Uh, yeah, I'm in a different perspective because now I'm coming from having played in each one of you scams. And so one of the things that I just wanted to do, um, I've, I've loved all the characters and that I've made and being able to explore your world. So there's just a part of me that's like, well, I'm just kind of paying that forward because I want you guys to have as much fun in my world as I did in yours. But uh, I think the approach to lore and giving up some of the reins and letting you guys have a like a pronounced impact on like the world and on how things work uh because my like gut reaction a lot of the time to things is mm, that's not how it works that's not how it functions <laughs> but like uh as i said earlier and i do believe that i think when you do collaborative storytelling it does make the stories better i think more perspectives make it richer and i think being able to have you guys take the things that you care about and build them out with uh, that kind of love and attention to detail. Um, I really enjoy having that be a part of the process and a part of the lore. So that's something that I've really wanted to make sure that uh, you guys get the ability to build that, but then it also feels cohesive. So it's not just like four different worlds that are all like mashed together, but that they're really synergizing. Um, And then otherwise, this has definitely been a, an exercise in planning. Like I said multiple times, this is the longest uh, pro- produced piece I've DM'd. The only other thing that comes close to an episode length was my roguelike, which was literally the same thing over and over again. And so it was like a <laughs> very different perspective. Um, and like when I was DMing on Unprepared Casters, that was a very concise story arc. Um, and so... I think one of the things I've been trying to pay attention to is like getting you guys lore and information and keep the story moving, but not having it feel too rushed. I like to sit in things and take a leisurely pace, but I just want to make sure it's interesting. So those are, those are the things that I've been considering. Um, I'm just wondering when you're going to pull out the, what is it? The panda dance from the, the game plan movie? Is that what it was? Something like that? No, it's from The Pacifier. The Pacifier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. movie. Yeah, this one, this definitely, like, totally also is probably more serious than my other games. There's less just random bull- Like, there's bullshit here, <laughs> but, yeah, there, there's not yet a Peter Panda dance. <laughs> Peter Panda dance, that's what it was. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was kind of our last uh, big discussion question. Um, so let's move on to the less serious stuff. And this episode's going to go a little bit longer than the last one, cause, since I was mostly worried about having enough content for both, but we definitely do. So, um, uh, uh, rapid fire, rapid fire, <laughs> Rob, what is the, dis- the physical description of Telecat, otherwise known as Alfie? Uh, alfalfa, my baby. <laughs> uh, uh, little schmuckums. So alfalfa <laughs> is, uh. Avoid cat. I don't. That's not a real species in lore. It is now um, mm-hmm. and forever will be. Um, They're rare, but they are there. Yes. Uh, so basically, what alfalfa looks like is just like a normal sized all black cat 
Um, so, you know, like foot and a half long, a little bit chunky, but sleek, all black fur. Um, Alfalfa's eyes mimic Magnus's eyes in that they are purple and instead of uh, like normal dot pupils, they are crosses because um, he's his bound familiar. And uh, he has, so his teleportation is between shadows, void, you know. So his tail, whenever he's like sitting in a patch of darkness, doesn't sort of end, it just sort of trails off into shadow. Like it just blends into the shadows. Um, so it kind of gives the illusion that his tail is like infinite, even though it's like not necessarily. But uh, that's that's my kitty. Love that. Little baby. He's not unusually small. I know the, the uh, person asked that. Uh, no, it's not. He's not like tiny. He's not like a teacup kitten. He's like a normal cat. Oh, that would be really cute, though. Um, Maybe you'll have kittens. I don't know. <laughs> love alfalfa. Um, okay, so if your character was a Twitch streamer, what game do you think they would be streaming? I don't think Winnie would stream a game. I think she would do um, IRL. She would be an IRL streamer, and she would do gardening. Nice. Arcos would be building cathedrals on Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good answer. <laughs> like, for no audience, by the way. Yeah, zero just be viewers. Like, oh, this, Meanwhile, this is so Okay, cool. so here, no, here's the headcanon I have. Arcos would have all the whole setup, the whole Twitch, like, all the layouts, all the fancy shit, all the transitions, all the alerts, all that stuff. Zero viewers. One, one viewer, maybe. And then Winnie would just have her her iPhone out like this, being like, here are my tomatoes. Here are, Here's my basil. Like, really And you're shaky. looking at the screen and not at the camera. Yeah, looking at the Always. screen and not at the camera. And she would have thousands of viewers. <laughs> That's exactly how it would go. God, I, I don't know. What would Magda stream on Twitch? Something toxic, probably. Like, he might... Fortnite. <laughs> Cod. <laughs> no, that's like, that's like too basic. Magus would he, definitely play League. <laughs> yeah. He, okay. Yeah. He probably he probably be like Gold Three in League or something like that. Like I don't know. I don't play League. That being um, said, did you have Magnus playing fucking Rocket League or something? That is funny. <laughs> I think he would probably like. So here's the thing. Like Magnus, like really isn't. Um, like I don't think he's really even that social. Like he's. He's friendly enough with the party, but, like, Magnus, by and large, like, doesn't have a good relationship with most of the populace. I think he would be much more... I think he would be, like, half League of Legends, super sweaty, really serious, rushing bot lanes, and then, like, the other half would be just, like, cryptic Instagram posts with, like, anonymous masks. Like, it would just be, like, a bunch of vague shit, like, meet at the cloister in, you know, two days, and then he just wouldn't show up and just forget about it. So he would, like have people like go about doing shit and then he just would totally blow it off i do love the idea of julian being super popular on like tiktok or something <laughs> yeah. and then every now and then magnus is like in the background of a video or julian like has like crotch shots of magnus and they're like how are you with like how do you know this man that's like one of the most powerful wizards ever and then every single time julian's like i don't want to talk about it <laughs> like don't worry about it it's like um, that's for a story time like, YouTube video. Like Francesca Scorsese, like occasionally <laughs> yeah. just having her dad ask and asking him questions about memes. Oh my god, that's so good. What would Craig stream? Um. Oh my god, I imagine Craig is like absolutely insane at like Overwatch or something. <laughs> that's also it's what I was Overwatch. thinking. Like 
And it's it's just him like sitting there with a the thing, like no personality, but yeah. everyone's like thirsting over him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's just really good. Yeah. Amazing. Um not Craig and Julian being like TikTok hot boys. That's terrible. Oh my god. <laughs> what a horrid fate. I'm sure Magnus would hate that. Collapse. Like, why are you why are you dancing without any music? <laughs> the music's in the phone. It's there. Um, but the, what, it, what's the point of dancing if you can't hear it? It's it's for a trend. It's like a... Do you know what a meme is, Magnus? A meme? Is this some sort of spell? Yeah, in a way, yeah. I haven't heard of it. Teach me what a meme is, quick. <laughs> when, he, when he would use Feywild magic to make it look like they have filters on, but it, like it's real on while they're no, doing their yeah. TikTok dance. Yeah, putting in like an actual bunny ear. Or making them like actually sparkle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think... I'm trying to think. Uh, I imagine Huron is just playing like Agario and things like that because like that's as complex of a video game as he can handle. <laughs> yeah. Um, or chess and just like like online online yeah. chess chess.com or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I fully think Askarath is spending four hours minimum making their character for Baldur's Gate. <laughs> 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 like, and I like to think Askarath's stream has, like, such... It, they're, like, one of those streamers who's been around for a while and has a pretty steady following, so they can, like, go to platform, and they're, like, very just... Like, it's solid, it's nothing yeah. crazy or showy, but it's good, and it's great content, great commentary, and a solid community. <laughs> I love that for her. Uh. And a problematic ex. It's got everything. <laughs> got everything a growing streamer girl needs. The Church yeah. of Fury teaches you how to uh, stream on Twitch before you graduate <laughs> from school. Oh yeah, it's God. like LDS and mommy bloggers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh to get more God. people to join, yeah. Um, That's hilarious. All right, uh... We spent some time trying to figure out what the reference was before we started recording for this next question. Uh, can Brennan describe his ideal sexy cave? I, I don't know what that's about. I, I we figured I, I, it was I, I, probably from season three, but we still don't really know. I'm pretty sure it's it's season th The thing is that we spent a lot of time <laughs> in a cave-like environment in season three, which did have some of my favorite scenes ever. In, on this on this podcast, um, but I don't know why I'd be describing the cave is the weird thing, <laughs> and I can't picture me being like, "Oh yeah, that's sexy See, cave." <laughs> the thing <laughs> like, is, I feel like I would describe a cave as sexy. Yeah, like any right. of us are gonna say something about a cave is sexy. Right. It's, it's me. Yeah, not my usual but, vernacular. So it, had, it could have been season two, although I can't remember we're in a cave. So so to answer the question, although. I would love yeah, to Yeah, you've know. been dancing around it for a while. Sexy <laughs> cave. Go on the record. I just, it's just, I've got no memory of talking about a sexy cave. It doesn't matter the context right now. <laughs> but I, I picture a cave where it looks like a maw, you know, when there's like, for some reason, stalactites in, on top and stalactites, uh, stalagmites on bottom. And they're like, like teeth, like jaws. And they're it's just like coming up from the ground. And there's just darkness behind it. And then there's like a little hole. And then you go through it, and it's, like, all lit up. You know, there's, like, bioluminescent creatures in there. There's definitely running water in the people. back. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, there's Maxi that... Mule with a bunch of roses waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, go. Andy, go. Andy, <laughs> go. Yes. 
There are my favorite romances in, in all seasons of this podcast. The most um, powerful throuple. <laughs> the um, ones that got away. Yeah, there, there's definitely, definitely gonna drop the adventures of Digo and Rama sometime for my my own personal uh, a fanfic. Yeah, um, but that's their domestic that's partnership game. raising a sentient robot. <laughs> Oh, man. It's like it's just it's Rama. It's like Brokeback Mountain, except in space. Perfect. Okay, this is a this next one's hard, and I spent some time thinking about it. And I think I have a good answer. What movie, in your opinion, is a perfect five out of ten? Not a bad movie, but not exactly good either. The perfect meh movie. The Mummy. <sighs> I keep looking at that one, and I can't think of one. Do you say the Mummy is a five out of ten? There's just a few things about it. No, I fuck just, you. <laughs> I just can't get behind. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> I haven't actually seen it, so I wouldn't know. I've done the ride. Oh, you would love the mummy. You're so bisexual. <laughs> True. I True. Really enjoyed the mummy. I just there's a few things that was just a bit. Really enjoyed translates to a five out of ten. I just there's a few things that were weird. There's just a few things that was weird. Uh, my answer is. Um, the fifth Harry Potter movie. Firstly, because it's the fifth Harry Potter movie, but also because it's just one of the weaker links. Like the first three yeah. Harry Potter movies, great stuff, good, good shit. Uh, also, not to Harry Potter post on Maine, but like, because you know, dead, whatever. But uh, you know, it's just like it was the height of Daniel Radcliffe's like drug problem, and all I really remember is just the face that he makes through the whole movie, and I just feel like that all the other ones are stronger. But like it's like kind of one that you have to get through if you want to watch all the Harry Potter movies, which I have not watched in a long time. But like that's just that's how I feel about it. A five out of ten. That's valid. <laughs> Fifth Harry Potter movie is extremely mid. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what we're looking for. Extremely mid. Hmm. Okay. I think my the only one that's coming to mind because I also love bad movies. Oh, oh. The problem is I keep thinking of movies that are like. Like, I love bad movies that are good, and mm-hmm. I keep thinking of bad movies that are bad. Right. Like, I think I would I think I think would give Brigadoon maybe a 4 out of 10. It might be a 5 out of 10 just for the concept, but that was a boring-ass movie. Um, the one that I'm thinking of for real, though. No one no one here has seen Brigadoon. Don't watch it. It's fine. It's no Schmigadoon, that's for sure. Oh, that's um, what I was thinking of. That's the one that you liked, right? No, Schmigadoon is a billion out of ten, and it's also a TV series. Right. Brigadoon is a musical from the 50s that Schmigadoon draws some parallels with. Gotcha. But Schmigadoon's also referencing to all the musical, like Rodgers and Hammerstein, like that era of musicals. Oh, I should watch that. Everyone should watch Schmigadoon. It's on Apple TV. It's great. It gotcha. fills the hole that Galvant left in my life. Anyway, my five out of ten movie. That just sounded so alien. Like I landed on an alien planet. <laughs> Not Schmigadoon. Like, Schmigadoon. Yes. What are the what What are the movies I should watch? Just make sure you watch Schmigadoon. Stay away from Schmigadoon. And if you hear about Schmigadoon, no, 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 no. This is not in the other direction. Yeah, you well, don't want to squash that one for sure. Okay, but the first season is Schmigadoon, but then the second season is Schmigadoon. <laughs> so good but you should watch i started with chicago i watched Shmicago. the first few episodes they were out and then i went back to schmigadoon but you should watch the whole thing this is anyway, definitely rick and morty <laughs> if i had to say chicago <laughs> made my fine. voice hit registers i didn't know it could hit. <laughs> uh. oh my god 
Um, yeah, I, I was also thinking, I was going to just say another <laughs> sentence just to mess with Rob. Uh, which is that Chicago is great because it has a narrator, which is Titus Burgess, the guy who plays Titus Andromeda from the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, yes. Cool. Okay, there we go. There's okay. more words. I recognize some of those words. Great <laughs> band. Great um, My five out of ten movie, I would say, is Sharknado 2. And here's why I'm giving Sharknado 2 a five out of ten. The first Sharknado was a fun time. It was a great concept. Now, I is so dumb, and I love shark movies, so obviously I'm going to rank the first Sharknado high because I like bad movies. And we're asking for ratings, which is an opinion, so I don't want people coming in here and telling me that it's not a good shark movie because it's a great bad shark movie. I've watched awful bad shark movies that are on Amazon Prime that looked like they were made for some like random film project for like a sophomore <laughs> second semester. S- Santa like, Jaws. Have you heard of Santa Jaws? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but I'm the reason why I'm giving Sharknado to a five out of ten is because I'd give the first Sharknado a higher ranking. There's like five. At some point, I stopped watching Sharknado movies because they did, no pun intended, jump the shark. <laughs> However, at some point, we have to start ranking them lower. And the thing is, I've watched Sharknado 1 through 3. I have no idea what happens in Sharknado 2. I could not tell you. I have 100% seen that movie. And for that reason, I'm giving it a 5 out of 10. Because if it were so awful, like if it were like Virus Shark, I would remember exactly why it was so bad that I would be going a rant about how much I hate the movie. But the fact that I don't remember anything about it means that it was probably just a 5 out of 10. It was a movie. It existed. <laughs> That's it. Sharknado 2 specifically. Rob, do you have an answer or do you want to move on? Oh yeah, all right. I'm going to give you a twofer. Um I think both uh Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame are both extremely mid 5 out of 10 movies. Um, I have to disagree with Infinity War, but Endgame, yes, I agree with. Yeah. Just not just Marvel really fell off the wagon. Um Thanos has dumb motivations. Yeah, I, I've always had a problem. Kill with that exactly fifty percent of everyone. That'll solve everything. Well, what's well, like, why? And he's like, I, don't ask me that question. This is a Marvel movie. It's like, what? What's the, wild is that Thanos' motivation in the comics is actually kind of wild, and I think Mills, you in particular, would appreciate it. His whole thing is that he's like this, like sort of demigod alien, and he like has an affair with the literal like embodiment of. Death. I was yeah. that's what I was about to say. I was literally going to yeah. go on a little rant about how the the meaning there in the comics is so much better cuz it makes more sense. Yeah. And then yes. the funny thing is death is still like, you know. <laughs> I didn't want that. <laughs> and also death had the thing for Deadpool, which is also objectively funnier. That's yes. amazing. Yeah. Um so I'm anyway, a god with the power to kill half the universe or <laughs> One undead cancer boy. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like an avocado. One wacky yeah. Ryan Reynolds. Um. So this one is specifically for Brennan. What is your interest in playing negative four intelligence characters? They're great and I love them. Says, says <laughs> the person. You love them. <laughs> um, there's two things behind it. One of them is I really like um, redemption arcs or having characters that start out one place and end up someplace else. You know? Um, so I mean... That wasn't necessarily the case with Darwell, but um, 
But Giuseppe, it goes back to Mills' comment about getting a pawn to the other side of the board. And just insufferable as Giuseppe is in the beginning. You know, I think they're at the end. There's a lot of redeeming qualities who shows true leadership after enough pep talks from Hugh and enough uh, inspiration from Sinead, enough encouragement from Arthur. And having a character that's deeply flawed and having it, that character grow over time because of the positive influences or negative ones of, of your friends is just something that I can't get enough of. It's something I really enjoy. And um, Int is usually one of the easier ones to, to play up as the, the dump stat as uh, a way to have growth. Um, <clears throat> with, I will say, the other thing is sometimes I'm sad trying to satirize something. Like Rava's name is just a name for king and Thai. My, my, so my family's from Thailand, my father's side is. And the king did a bunch of really fucked up shit during the pandemic. He like just straight up left the country and all his responsibilities and set up shop at a resort in Germany. And it was just funny to make fun of him as a bungling idiot like Rama was in the beginning. Um, and similarly with um, Arcos lampooning some of the just some of the funnier shit <laughs> that I hear of people who are a little bit up, up, up their own ass when it comes to the way they approach theology. It's just like, what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? So being able to make fun of it with the character is always funny. Um, but you get these characters that are really, really dumb or, you know, kind of not just stupid, but are problematic or foolish in some way. And as they learn more, it just makes, I think, a really, a really fun story for me to tell through them and showing that I think a lot of people, myself in particular, come from a place of, of ignorance. We don't, we're not born knowing everything. We have to learn. And playing up the, the foolishness I feel in my own life for being who I am and the joy I feel as I learn more and become a better person or try to be is something that um, I think is evoked really well when you're playing a game in a system where you can level up and when you can get better. And that sort of self-improvement, that redemption is something I find very fascinating to play. And also sometimes it's just fucking funny, you know? Like, we, we have a lot of serious characters. <laughs> sometimes you have to break up the, the L and Akala tears with, <laughs> God damn it, someone give me a shot of the Western juice. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, now forever calling whiskey Western juice. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they're talking about the Shadow Realm and you need something to say, hey, Yugi, you know? <laughs> also... It's easier to play low intelligence characters because then you don't have the pressure to feel smart when, in everything you do. Yeah, that's why I'll never play is. a smart character <laughs> ever again. <laughs> um, well, that's very well said. Um, this is our last question that we have, kind of a, a lighter question, just for fun. Um, I know you guys play remotely because Hannah's across the country and Rob lives in the shadow of the young eldritch god named Gritty. But if you guys do roll real life dice, can you describe the sets you use for your character? So in the past, I've not very, I've not been very intentional with the dice that I've used for Aqua. I think I just used some uh, handmade ones that I bought off of uh, a seller on Instagram. But for Winnie, I made a little set and I'll, if someone tags me in Discord, I will remember to share it. But I took, I have a bunch of like different colored sets and I uh, put a bunch of them together. Like I have some blue dice. I have some, uh, what is this? Hollow dice, I guess. The ones that are kind of shiny and do the different color thing. Um, I have a blue D20, I have a purple D20, and a purple D12, and then I have a D6 that has some stars in it that's clear, 
and a white D10. Um, so, and also with 7C, we had to just use D10s. So I was just grabbing whatever D10s I had. So I couldn't really curate for that. But um, this is the first time I've really put thought into a set for a character. Anyone else? I have, yeah, I got, I got three sets of dice. I got uh, a crimson with a with gold lettering. I've got blue, uh, like a transparent, uh, really pretty sapphire blue with uh, with a yellow lettering. And then I've got um, uh, I've got a set with little mushrooms in them that I. I Guess I got in divorce after my last breakup, and uh, what I do is I just stick with one set, and then once one of them does me dirty, I just put them in dice jail and <laughs> start with the next one, and then I start with that one on my next round. So I, I just rotate, you know. So <laughs> I uh, the, I've been using the set um, for most of the campaign that my friends got me for my birthday. That is a um, a metal set of dice that's made out of brass that's hollow. So instead of being like thick metal most of the way through, it's they're actually quite light, so they don't dent mats or uh, your table or anything like that. And they've got um, little clockwork gears carved in between the numbers and the borders, um, which is sort of hard to show on camera. I don't know if it will really show up. Not that you're going to lose the camera anyway. But, um, yeah, and I just like these die because they're sort of mystical, um, but they're they're nice and shiny and look good and feel good in your hand. They're not too heavy. So, um, I think mostly for this campaign, I using a set of dice that um, I would describe uh, like metallic floral, but if those flowers were stabby and evil, <laughs> belong to an eldritch god. And then another that's just like gray stone um, that's pretty simple. And then, yeah, I think those are the two sets I used mostly for this campaign. Both were gifted to me. I like using dice that I've gotten as gifts because then I know who to blame when <laughs> wrong. That's funny. Very good. Um, okay, well, that wraps it up for our all of our questions. I think we hit pretty much all of them, and uh, we're over the one-hour time, so that's great. Um, so, as we come to a close in this Q&A, I have been hyping up this, this announcement that uh, I have been talking about at the beginning and the end of each of these episodes. Um, so... As time has kind of gone on, as our podcast has progressed through time and as our lives have changed through the years and the almost five years that we've been doing this, we're about to, um, we're about four and a half years in right now. Um, we have come to the conclusion that season four is going to be the last season of Guildfellows. And I understand that might be really sad for a lot of you guys to hear. It was kind of a sad realization um, whenever we kind of came to that conclusion. Um, and I'm really not going to harp on it a lot right now because if I talk about it too long and if I, if I start a speech, I'm going to go on forever. Um, and we'll have plenty of time for that after season four ends. I, I plan on having a season four postmortem and then a podcast postmortem after that. Basically, the biggest reasons being that um, as individuals, we are just kind of outgrowing the show 
a little bit. I'm sure most of you have noticed um, that we have been a little bit inconsistent with scheduling recently, and it's not because of that. This is not happening because of that. This is happening just kind of as a side effect of everything else that's been going on. Um, We're just kind of outgrowing the show. And another reason being that we are of the belief that we should quit while we're ahead. Um, You know, if you've watched a TV show for like... I don't know how many years of your life and eventually they get to the point where they're running out of ideas and not that we're running out of ideas, but like, you know, if this is something, if we were to continue past this point, it would just kind of become something that we're struggling to keep up with something, uh, that might turn into something that we didn't originally mean the show to be. So four seasons is a great place to just kind of cut it. We each got a chance to DM, um, I have to stop talking. Otherwise, I'm going to uh, continue and I'm not going to stop and I I have to stop. Um, So I'm sorry. This is kind of a little bit of a somber note to end um, this Q&A on, but we will talk about it more. We still have a whole half a season. We just kind of wanted to give you guys some time to digest. We wanted to give ourselves time to digest and we didn't want to just, you know, throw it on you at the end of season four. So now we have time to kind of, you know, take it in and think about it, and just really enjoy this last uh, half a season that we have left. Maybe more than half a season? I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, and I, I think I'm going to I'm gonna be short, and I told everyone else not to say much. So if everyone else is surprisingly silent in this moment, just know it's because I asked them to be. <laughs> it's not because they don't care about the show. Um, so yeah, that being said, does anyone have anything short and sweet they want to say, or should I just end it off there? Um, very briefly, I'll just say that, um, I want anybody to, that is listening to this, um, that is sad to know that, uh, we hope that you do not focus on like the sadness of this ending, but we hope that you appreciate as much as we have, um, how cool of a journey this has been. And, uh, thank you so much for, for listening, um, and continuing to listen and support us. Um, and we love you very much. Yeah. Take it as, yeah. Take it as something that like we're. We're growing. We're not ending because we hate the show or anything like that. We're just growing as individuals and and need to move on and just know that it's going to open us up for bigger and better things, even though this thing has been really great for the past four and a half years. Um, I just want to say that I'm very thankful to have been a part of this. I hope that I can get us to finish on a very high note. And uh, I'll keep the stories with me forever. And I can't wait to see what all of us are going to do next. Drunk stream reunion? <laughs> Maybe, perhaps. <laughs> we'll keep, I'll keep the RSS feed up so it'll be here if we ever want to come back to it. But um, yeah, that's, that's all I'm going to say. That's all we're going to say for now. Um, thank you so much for listening to both of these Q&A episodes. And thank you all for just being listeners of the podcast. We... Um, could not have asked for any better outcome for any of this. Um, and I'm just, I'm just continually shocked that we're still here four and a half years later, like genuinely. Um, but that's all I'm going to say. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We love you all so much. Uh, stay safe. We love you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big. 